0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.
1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 318, Meridian.
0: Into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John
2: Champion, and I'm Ken Ray. Each week, Mission Log materializes, seemingly out of nowhere, to poke around the Star Trek universe, see what a particular story has to say. Then, before you know it, back into the ether.
0: This week, Meridian, the one where Dax falls in love, and a lascivious businessman tries to get his very own Major Kira. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first, but
2: first. I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is at com. Our show website, including Discovered Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. You know, we haven't done it in a while, John. What's that? We haven't done the, uh, the alternate title game.
0: Oh, do you have one already?
2: Yeah. I, I, I do, okay. actually. So alternate title for this. Uh, one of our planets is missing. Nope, nope. Wait, there it is. <laughs> uh, no, it's gone again. Uh-huh. I think that's that would good. be. It's a little long, but it calls back to uh, to the animated series if memory yeah. serves. Yeah, that's so. very
0: good, and still not as long a title as uh, "For the World Is Hollow" and "I Have Touched the Sky."
2: It's, especially if you that's, throw in the uh, coughing in the yeah. middle of it. "For the World mm. <coughs> Is Hollow" <laughs> <laughs> and I. <sighs> mm-hmm. I'll try to think of some other titles uh, while you do trivia, if you want. Please do. I will do
0: the trivia, you think of titles. Trivia for this week's episode Meridian. Well, the story credit goes to Hillary J. Bader and Evan Carlos Summers. Now, you may recognize those names. We mentioned Hillary way back with her first contribution to Trek, the TNG episode The Loss. You may remember also that Hillary was primarily known for a long list of credits in animation in addition to her track work now evan first came to our attention with ds9's battle lines he has a total of four star trek credits uh, one more coming up on voyager you may also recall that evan was a writing intern on ds9 and wrote the story for melora influenced by the fact that he himself used a wheelchair the teleplay credit goes to mark jared o'connell mark has just a handful of trek credits He was not credited for his story contribution to TNG for the episode Timescape, but we did just see his first DS9 credit, Second Sight, back in Season 2. He has just a couple more stories coming up. Hey, Ken, it's uh, it's Brigadoon in Space. Oh, that was going to be one of my other titles. Oh, really? Well, I'm sorry to beat you to the punch there, but that's the story here. Now, uh, I don't know if you've seen the musical on stage, but of course, for you or anybody who hasn't, you can, of course, see the 1954 film with uh, Gene Kelly and Van Johnson and Sid Charisse. Uh, Also worth pointing out, Iris Stephen Bear, big fan of Brigadoon. Now, this episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes, and it's like we were just talking about Frakes as a director, and we were. He directed The Search Part 2, and he will be back for one more DS9 episode this season before jumping over to Voyager.
2: Can I ask a question really quickly? Sure. Back as a director or just back one more time?
0: Uh, Back as, oh, oh I ah, see what you did there. See. I see, because yes, back as a director okay. one more time. But then, and the, the thing with the guy, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it yeah <laughs> now let's talk about locations because i love locations here we have the huntington library botanical gardens used once again those of course are in pasadena we've seen that location before a few times well there is uh justice and Menager troy in tng and then more recently on ds9 in
2: emissary you're an la person have you actually seen the huntington gardens
0: I haven't actually been there. I think uh, we dude, should uh, you should go
2: you should yeah. go. I went like 20 something years ago the first time I was in LA I think.
0: Oh really yeah, oh, it's lovely cool.
2: It's cool. lovely yeah maybe we do a
0: little uh, a mission log outing.
2: Sure why not or we can get hmm. uh, we can get Dr. Trek, Larry Nemichek, to maybe add it to one of his tours and then we'll just tag along. Yeah, oh, oh, I
0: like that even better.
2: Like people who know what we're doing. Yes.
0: <laughs> even better. Now, there's a location you can't visit in this. Uh of course, that would be the buildings on Meridian because that was a map painting. Um it is the same map painting in fact that was used in Birthright Part 2 as the Romulan prison where all those Klingons were being held. Now, obviously, they made some major modifications to disguise the fact that it was a prison and then to match the set pieces they built for the episode. Hey, uh, one other bit of trickery here. That was a body double used for the composite of Kira and Quark at the end of the episode.
2: So you're saying that was not Armin's body?
0: That was not Armin's body. I know. Shocking. (laughs) Uh, uh, Nana was all ready to do it. But here's the thing. Even though it would be a composite with Armin's head, uh, they would have had to have put a mask on Nana. Uh, to, to at least get the alignment right, and uh, she was having none of it because, of course, she had just worn a lot of makeup as a Cardassian in Second Skin, and uh, as I mentioned in the trivia for that episode, she's not a big fan of the uh, claustrophobia induced by wearing whole-head prosthetics, so uh, she said, no, thank you, and they hired a uh, a body double. Now, let's talk about guest stars. The first Meridian that we meet is Selton Rakhal, played by Christine Healy. Christine made the TV guest star rounds mostly from the mid-80s through the 2000s. She can be seen in recurring roles on St. Elsewhere, uh, The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd, and E.R., among others. This is her only Trek appearance. Brett Cullen plays Dural. He may not be a household name, but Brett has appeared in a number of high-profile films and TV shows, in guest and recurring roles. Genre credits include V. Uh, let's see, The Dark Knight Rises, uh, Tales from the Crypt, and The Outer Limits. He appeared in Apollo 13 as Capcom One, and then as astronaut Dave Scott in the series From the Earth to the Moon. Finally, we welcome Jeffrey Combs to Star Trek in his first appearance in any of the series. Here he plays Turan. Now, up until this point in his career, Jeffrey had a solid list of credits in both TV and film, and he was probably best known at the time for playing Dr. Herbert West in Reanimator and the follow-up Bride of Reanimator. Of course, this DS9 credit kicks off a long association with Star Trek in which Jeffrey will play a multitude of aliens, some one-offs, some recurring, lots more of Jeffrey to come as we go along.
1: Have you ever played hide-and-seek with someone so good that you eventually stop looking for them? Welcome to Meridian. Prologue. Kira's
0: just trying to enjoy a hot cup of coffee in the replomat with her pal Odo when they're interrupted by Tiron, some alien who's doing business with Quark and has really got a desire to schmooze Kira. She's definitely not interested in him, and she uses that old gambit of saying the person who happens to be there with her at this moment, Odo, is her boyfriend. Chiron goes away, Kira goes back to work, and Odo is left alone. He may not have taste buds, but he's a little tingly maybe from Kira's using him as a prop. On the Defiant, exploring the Gamma Quadrant is the game just run-of-the-mill stuff, avoiding the Dominion, some heavy gravimetric distortions. Then, out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, a planet just appears. Act 1. Yep, it's a planet called Meridian, populated by a handful of people, and they seem nice enough over the Calm channel. Their leader, Selton Rakal, invites the Defiant crew to stop by for a visit. It's a beautiful place, lush greenery, people dressed in flowy robes, and plenty of fresh fruit to go around. Over a meal, Selton explains what's going on. This planet, for some reason they don't understand, just phases itself into another dimension, one without physical form every so often. Everyone here spends about 60 years as pure consciousness before coming back into their corporeal bodies— and boy, are they looking forward to physical things like eating and other physical things like, hey, why is this guy Dural sitting so close to Dax and giving her a look every now and then? <laughs> Back on DS9, oh, look, it's Tiran again. He's just spent some time in a holosuite and doesn't seem too pleased with the program. It was boring. Quark tries to offer him all kinds of other programs, but Tehran only wants one thing, a custom Holosuite program featuring none other than Major Kira. He's willing to pay for it, and Cork says he'll make it happen. After all, a bar of gold-pressed latinum is hard to pass up. On Meridian, a few more details have emerged. The population here is small, about 30. They're the descendants of a crashed expedition, but the population is getting smaller, They can only reproduce while in a physical state, and every time they appear in the Gamma Quadrant, the time they have in this corporeal form gets shorter and shorter. Twelve days this time, shorter the next, still shorter the next. They'll spend 60 years as pure, non-physical consciousness between each trip, but by the time they've used up all their physical presence, this whole place will cease to exist. Act 2. That is a bit of a problem, but with the Defiant crew there, and Dural willing to spend some time sciencing with Dax, they may yet find a solution. It's so sciency. There's the sun, uh, there are gamma bursts, there's a probe, uh, there's the deep scientific interest Dural has in Dax. He'd like to spend a little more time with her while they wait for Data to come back from the probe— They beam down to one of those beautiful Meridian gardens where Dural says that Selton might not totally approve. She might have assumed he should be uh, walking with one of the women from Meridian. He doesn't care, though. He definitely would rather spend his short time here with Dax, and she'd clearly like to spend her time with him. They climb a tree. They kiss. It's sweet. Act 3. Science is still sciencing. O'Brien has some data in from the probe, but it's not enough to make a dent in truly understanding what's going on the Meridian or its sun. Dural and Dax stay on the planet, taking a break every now and then to canoodle. Later, a breakthrough. Dax has narrowed down a fusion imbalance in the sun's core, so they'll work on that theory for now. Hey, let's check in on Quark, shall we? He still owes Tyran a hollow sweep simulation of Kira... And it's not going that well for him. A little while ago, he tried the old, you're my one millionth customer gambit to try to lure Kira into a Suite in order to get a good scan of her. Now he's trying to sneak a few shots with a holo imager while she's talking with Odo. They confront Quark, and he comes up with a lame story about how he's capturing likenesses of the crew for a Suite simulation of Ops. So many people want to see what it's like to work with the command crew of DS9, and yeah, neither Kira nor Odo is buying it. She chucks the holo-imager away with a threat to make Quark eat it if she catches him sneaking pictures again. It's considerably more friendly on Meridian, where Jadzia and Doral are in an embrace. She's got some good news and some bad news. They can probably stabilize the Sun's core, which would give Meridian a permanent presence. The downside is they won't be able to complete the work before Meridian disappears again and reappears in 60 years. Bummer. Here is Dural ready to build a house for the two of them for when Dax visits, but now he's got another idea. What if he just leaves Meridian to come with her? Act 4. With the idea that Meridian will be able to stick around longer, there is planning to do. Dural has some goodbyes to say to everyone there, since he'll be relocating to the Alpha Quadrant. Meanwhile, in the Alpha Quadrant, Tiran is getting impatient with Quark, but Quark has another tactic to create the ultimate Kira Simulator, a data decryption protocol that will allow him to access DS9's computer systems. Great, all he has to do is plug in the thingy, start downloading, and Odo is on to him in no time. He lets Kira know that someone has been tapping into her personnel file. Odo offers to arrest him for her, but Kira's got an idea. Back on Meridian, Dural and Chadzia are having a heart-to-heart. He's willing to leave Meridian to be with her, but he's leaving behind the small population of people who really need him, In that case, Dax offers something radical. To stay with him. And she can do it if they use some fancy transporter technology to allow her physical body to quantum shift when their planet disappears again in a few days. Act 5. Time now for Jadzia to say her goodbyes. It's emotional with Sisko. He's known Curzon, and he doesn't want to see any version of Dax jumping into something without thinking it through— this is what she wants, though, and perhaps they will see each other again in 60 years when Meridian comes back. Back to Quark and his customer, Tiran. He's ready to check out that hollow suite. In he goes to a romantically lit room. Laying on a bed is the figure of a woman. And when she sits up to say hello, it's not holographic Kira, but rather Quark's face that greets Tiran. Kira and Odo worked overtime on this little prank and Tyran leaves, humiliated, while Quark is left without pay. On the Defiant, Dax says her final goodbyes to her crew, then it's time to beam down to Meridian and reunite with Dural. Right on time, Meridian starts to get all wibbly-wobbly. Seriously, though, there's terrible seismic activity as the planet and its inhabitants start to phase out of this dimension into the other, but Jadzia's presence there is throwing it all out of whack. She's acting like an anchor, O'Brien says, preventing the planet from shifting properly. They have no choice but to beam her back to the Defiant, allowing Meridian to slip back into its other dimension, leaving Jadzia without the prospect of seeing Dural for another 60 years. She just tells Sisko that she needs some time. Alone.
2: The End. How do you feel about the term "lover"?
0: Well, Ken, we've done a podcast together for seven <laughs> years, and you know we're we're close. Nah, but, you see, uh, I
2: wondered if you'd go for that joke, mm-hmm. but seriously. So so, Tehran comes up, and he's like, uh, "Hey, who's the, who's the dude? Who's the shapeshifting dude?" Mm-hmm. And uh, and and Kira says, "Oh, he's my my lover." Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I was just like man that that phrase has always made me uncomfortable. When I was in my early <laughs> early 20s, uh-huh. I had a uh, I had a girlfriend who I want to say was 19 or 20. I can't remember how old she was when she decided this would be a good idea. But she started referring to us as lovers and I was just like that's just really not going to work for me. <laughs>
0: uh I think about that Will Farrell uh sketch. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah. So you haven't answered the question, by the way.
0: I I, I think it's, honestly, I think it's contextual. Like, now that you mention it like that, it feels a little weird. It feels a little forced. Um, But I, I actually think Kira delivered it exactly right here. I, I I don't I,
2: yeah I don't know. Well, I, there's to me there are two ways that she delivers that just right. First of all, it does imply that she's involved with someone else, mm-hmm. and second, Teron's like, "Wow, really? You call him that, huh?" No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm fine.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I you know uh, let's just see if it shows up again in Star Trek, and I'm curious why, if why the, don't we? Yeah, if if the context changes at all. But uh, speaking of those two, speaking of Kira and Odo, how about that? They just linger a little bit on odo after she leaves and he kind of looks at his hand after she's left I, I just you know i see a future
2: for these two <laughs> he's got the feels i'm never washing his hand again <laughs> of course i don't really have to because it's mostly liquid like you know yeah. six hours a day right? yeah, it's, that was a it's day like oatmeal yeah yeah Ooh, uh, yeah that's right well uh, no uh, it's a Yeah, it's a good way to fool people anyway. Uh, So I got to say, her use of the term lover aside, I think I connected with Kira better in this episode than I ever have in any episode before. Yeah. Yeah, her thoughts on savoring coffee may be the most relatable I've ever found her.
0: (laughs) It was kind of a perfect description, a perfect line about how and why to enjoy coffee. Yeah, Or, or any hot beverage of your choice.
2: Uh yeah. Eh, okay, sure. See, coffee is about the only one I drink. Occasionally, I'll mm. go for tea, but mostly I'm just waiting for tea to get tepid, which is oh, which really? goes over from the, oh, it's finally just, you know, just cool enough to drink mm-hmm. to really just a, just a whole pile of impatience for me. But coffee, on the other hand, yeah, she and I, we reach.
0: See, I, I like to tell the story about how my uh, grandfather, my late grandfather, uh, he loved coffee. And uh, he would pour, you know, fresh hot coffee right out of the coffee maker, pour just a little bit of milk or a little bit of cream in it and then immediately put it in the microwave because that little splash of milk or cream had <laughs> cooled it off too much.
2: Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. Really? Ugh.
0: And and my, my mom would inevitably say, like, yes, yeah, so you're trying to melt your dentures with the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like it that hot. But but, uh, you know. I get it. Uh, So, Hey, uh, Odo hasn't, again, we're back to the Odo thing about how he's just all one thing. Odo hasn't really tasted food. So I do wonder how he gets nourishment. He doesn't need food, but, but what are they just like uh, out under some UV light every now and then? Is that all he needs to get the energy to keep moving and liquefying and doing his Odo thing? Um, And he says that the experience of eating food was messy. And and I guess because he is just all mouth or all whatever, um, but at least he has no taste buds. So that that's good. Just whatever they put in him is just going to go straight through him. Or he liquefies and like, oh, there, there's a hot dog again, <laughs> because now I'm just liquid and that hot dog's got nowhere to go.
2: That's a good so. point. Well, it's like what you're we talking about. Like, could he like uh, smuggle something someplace? Just like, you know, put it in him.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. That's kind
2: of what happens with food, I would guess.
0: Oh, well, well, that's good, though, because like if you're if you're sneaking food into a movie theater or a concert or something, bring an Odo with you. It's like, no, it's just a guy. Oh, look, now I've got a burrito.
2: That's kind of funny because they'll search your bag, but they won't search the dude who's really just being a bag. Yeah. Yeah. He's literally the bag man.
0: Yes, <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, by the way, space mugs, I kind of mm-hmm. like the space mugs, except I'm like, that looks really familiar. And then I remember like 1982, 83, my aunt had one of those on her dashboard. Just a dashboard mug.
0: Yes, yes. And and I remember having I think we had several of those in our household because it was the new thing. You got the travel mug, it had the little no slip bottom. Right. And and I think we, we had them in various colors, maybe even with some various cartoon characters on them. I'm gonna say it was the eighties, probably like a Garfield mug. Sure. Absolutely. Like that.
2: Yeah. I would think, though, a roadrunner because, you know, it is for traveling.
0: That's true. I need to check with my mom and see if we still have those somewhere and then (laughs) uh, put them on eBay immediately.
2: Yeah, She's going to be like, they're under all your (laughs) Star Trek toys.
0: (laughs) right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Don't throw them away. They're authentic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, I know we're going to have so much more to say about Tehran later. So much. Um, but, But they really just from the outset indicate how awful he is. Um, I wonder if one day he'll find the right person. Look, I'm just going to guess it's not Kira. Kira's not the right person for him. Right. But do you think this guy's got a future with somebody?
2: Uh, sure. I don't okay. know. I mean, there's, there's someone for everyone. Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, is this one? Yeah. Of the, you can go ahead and tell me now. I'm assuming this is not one of the characters that he comes back as. You said some are one-offs, some are recurring. I know one yeah. of the recurring that you're talking about. I'm assuming this is one of the one-offs.
0: This is a one-off. Yeah. Oh, well, then
2: let's assume, yes, he does. He leaves there. He's all dejected. And then he meets somebody who's like, you know, you were really being a jerk. And he's like, ah, someone who can finally bring me to heal.
0: <laughs> that's, <laughs> so that's the happy ending that I wanted to hear. And, and now that'll show up in a, in a novel somewhere. The Further Adventures of Tyran.
2: Yeah. Hey, speaking of aliens and Kira, does Morn really have enough pull to get Kira out of ops down to Quark's? Mm. Oh, she shows up for the one millionth customer bit, and she's like, Yeah, I got a message that Morn wants to see me. And I'm sorry, <laughs> right. I'd be like, And like, oh, yeah. really? No, I got to go down and see what Morn wants because you know, it could be serious. Mm. Yeah, all
0: right. Well, look, it's the one time he's talking, so <laughs> anybody's going to drop what they're doing and go in for that. Um, Hey, a question for you. So the people on Meridian don't seem super advanced. Like, they they have, obviously, technology. They understand the idea of a spaceship coming to them. Well, they crash there. Well, yeah, they they crash there, but, like, they haven't rebuilt a spaceship in the entire time. So, you know, they they have some technology, but not a ton of it. Um, And the Gamma Quadrant could be a really dangerous place. So I wonder, like... If they knew they were going to disappear again in, like, five days, could they say to an attacking Jim Hadar group, like, uh, hey, yeah, yeah, you can have all of this, just come back next Thursday. And then, oh, surprise, we're gone, not to be seen again for another 60 years.
2: I'm curious, what have you seen of the Hadar that makes you think they would be patient?
0: Uh, nothing. <laughs> <Okay>. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> right. But I'm just thinking—it's really their only defense. Like okay. we don't see weapons. We're just like, yeah. Look, we are totally—we are so cool with being overrun with Jem'Hadar. Oh, Dominion—that sounds great.
2: See, because I thought you were seeing a Jem'Hadar, you know, scenario where where the Meridians are like, can you come back next Thursday? And the Jem'Hadar are like, that seems fair.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Right. like we won't fight oh well no no I promise we will fight we'll fight so hard oh, yeah. next Thursday
2: yeah you can you yeah. can blow this whole place up if you want to mhm yeah mm-hmm.
0: just on on Thursday yeah um oh by the way uh when the the DS9 crew gets invited down the first time uh, uh she says we are just about to have first meal mm-hmm. and i, I got to say i love sci-fi words for uh breakfast <laughs> um i don't think
2: it was breakfast
0: well no see but uh, here's the thing it looked like morning and and then by the end of the episode when they say last meal looks like evening
2: well right but i mean i think that's just i mean i think first meal was their first meal corporeal again and last Mm -hmm. meal was their last meal before going back to the ether
0: well uh, true although we don't know what time ship time was so it could have been like seven o'clock in the morning and uh, and Cisco say, "What well, first? Do, is that is that breakfast? Is that?" And, and he assumes that dessert is somewhere, of course, in there. Right. And and she knows what dessert is. Yes. She, she's like, okay.
2: Yeah. Right. No. Just, I, just I think. Making sure. I think the twelve days that they're here, I think they probably have lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner, all the way through. Except the last meal that they're going to have is going to be last meal. Just like the first meal that they have is going to be first meal.
0: Okay, well, whatever it is, it seems like dessert is a part of it, and the Meridians understand what dessert is.
2: Well, you you say they understand, but then they have some hard-to-eat fruit.
0: Yeah, okay, they do, which is, by the way, a kiwano melon. Okay. uh, uh, Otherwise known as the horned melon, and it's pretty, you know, what you see is what you get. It's orange, it's got little spiny things. You cut it open, there's a bunch of green goo and seeds, and, you know, knock yourself out.
2: Okay. Yeah. Do you eat the seeds? Do you eat the green goo? Or is yeah, what... yeah.
0: You, so y- you can.
2: Okay. Yeah. So what yeah. Dural was saying, like the whole, you just eat this little like you know skin bit between the skin and the rest of it. That's that's science fiction.
0: Right. See that that's a little weird.
2: Okay. Yeah. That that's... that
0: is a little strange.
2: I understand. Yeah. Well, it's to throw people off, right?
0: It is. Like, right. no, this is not a Kiwano. This yeah, is right. some space fruit.
2: Because where... I barely <laughs> recognize that. But then yeah. when he's like. You, you know, you have to eat it this special way. I'm like, oh, well, I thought it was a horn melon, but I guess not.
0: Nope, yeah. no, it's space fruit.
2: Yeah. Uh, also, I like his uh, here. Try this thing that I found on the ground, actually, sort of growing in water, right? So they're walking yeah. by the pond, and he goes over to the <laughs> yeah. pond. I thought he was going to like pet a fish or something, and he like just pulls something out, and he's like, oh, here, eat this. And yeah. I, I really hope it's not poisonous to your kind. Um, honestly, it reminded me of the Zaz. Yeah, right. Yeah. That idiot Darnell from uh, the Mantrap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they find Darnell dead and they're like, oh, he probably ate some of those berries he found on the ground. Uh-huh. Moron. Uh-huh. Right. And it turns out, of course, he was killed by a salt vampire, but now we're restarting from the very beginning if we continue. So I'm not going to do that. Let me just say, uh, long live the Zaz.
0: Look, this whole thing, this whole episode, I understand we only have so much time. You got to get through. You got to tell the story. Um, but there's so much that happens. It's just like a planet appears out of nowhere, somebody from that planet appears out of nowhere and says, Come on down. And everybody's like, Yeah, sure. We don't know anything about you or why this just happened, or what kind of food you eat, or but we're we're gonna come down and we're gonna eat your alien food.
2: Right. I just want to make sure that uh the planet's still gonna be there when the meal ends and the alien woman is like, Yes. <laughs>
0: We've got a we got a whole meal to figure that out. Yeah. Um, hey, a couple of references in here. Uh, we have the pleasure goddess of Ricks, a little beta Z reference for those of you who might have been missing out on some good beta Z references. And and O'Brien calls it out forty-seven minutes. That's when the dimensional shift will occur. Just in case you forgot that forty-seven is a thing. In Star Trek. And uh, by the way, look, I know we've had discussions before about uh, money and commerce and value in the future in in this post-scarcity society. Uh, But Quark is very impressed that Tehran has his very own holosuite. He says it's good to have money. So I guess you have to have money. I understand they're not Federation, but you have to have money to get a holosuite where they are. And I just thought, well, didn't we just see a replicator that can make a any laser shooty death device? Couldn't you just go to a, a, a replicator and say, hey, make me all the parts that I need for a suite." I'll wait for the instructions, too.
2: I also don't understand, Quark's like, you have your own suite. It must be nice <laughs> to have money. Of course, I got four.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. It's a, exactly.
2: Bit, uh, it's a bit confusing there. You know, he could just take one offline and say, nope, nope, this one is still out of order. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for the lack of money, he could live in a holo suite.
1: lover 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 sorry i am just trying to make the guys uncomfortable with my use of the
2: word lover 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 so we just sat down to first meal you might call it breakfast where i come from we call it first meal cuz it's the first meal we've had in about 60 or 70 years who knows did I remember to eat last time I was corporeal? This could be my first meal in 120 years, plus the 30 days. Tough to say. But we just sat down for the first time, and we have guests. Uh, and I, and I turn to my guest and say, so, those spots, cool or uncool? Oh, I, I kind of want to take a pass. Really? On this question. Yeah, I mean, oh. I'm not saying it's not cool. I'm honestly asking the question.
0: Yeah, I, I, look, it, it could be very uncool. Okay, it, it, it absolutely could be uh, because it, it, it's a little, uh, it's a little forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a little personal. Mm-hmm. It, it's a little invasive. But at the same time, we we are led to believe from the get go, look, the, the Meridians are okay there there's nothing wrong with them they're not going to try to to take us over and, and kill us or anything uh they they have not had physical bodies for a while mm-hmm. um uh, do do we cut him some slack and just say like hey he's he's happy to see a a body a physical body next to him who who seems cool and attractive and uh he's only got 12 days here he's just gonna sort of uh Uh, say something a little uh, a little personal little a
2: little flirty Hmm. so yeah
0: okay I I,
2: honestly I'm fine I mean I'm I don't want to say I'm fine with it because here's the thing I don't think that that is the kind of thing that I would do in this day and age but of course first of all this show was made 20 years ago and then on top of that uh, I'm not an alien who just spent 60 years as thought (laughs) <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if yeah. I had been an alien who just spent 60 years as thought, probably I haven't been thinking the whole time about propriety. It was a thing that I wondered about. It was not a thing that I was like, oh, ghastly. Nor is it a thing that I was like, hey, awesome line. I'm going to try it. Although, Vegas is coming. Right. <laughs> Vegas <laughs> right. is always coming. That's, so it's possible true. that you could that's just be true. like, so you some, see somebody who's dressed as a trill. And be like, so your spots are they decorative? And they'll be like, are you a moron? And I'll be like, okay, <laughs> uncool. I get it. Uncool. Right. Thank you very much. Let's move along.
0: See, uh, but Dural seems like a guy who, if it is uncool, then he just says, I, "Hey, I'm so, that was uncool. Uh, I'm sorry. I uh, I won't do that again." As opposed to a guy like Tehran who you say, "Hey, Tehran, you're uncool." And he just keeps being uncool. That's
2: true. That's true. Yeah, it, th- there is that whole thing too about. Well, I don't know. It, it, it's it's one of those things about flirtation. Maybe there was something that he read. Maybe there was something he thought. Or maybe he thought, "I'm going to try this, and if it's well received, then you know we'll go to round two. And if it's not well received, I'll just quit." Like you say, he is <laughs> he is he is cooler certainly than Tehran. Um at the same time I could see I could see somebody maybe being bothered by that be his opening. You know, you might start with something like hi, I'm Dural, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to so, I've been staring at your body. Right. Yeah. not saying just saying.
0: Um and, and look, here's the thing. This is what I'll say about this episode overall, um and, and I think that there's not a whole lot to discuss about what happens on Meridian. Um You got a new species of aliens on a planet and a different quadrant, and those people are cool and capable and not trying to kill us or each other. It's kind of an interesting change of pace mm-hmm. for for Star Trek and DS Nine in particular. So uh, we we just get to to tell that one particular story about this little relationship here.
2: Well, okay, but before we move on, because I think I think what I'm getting from you is you want to spend more time talking about Tehran.
0: I absolutely do.
2: Okay, well, yeah. I, then I do have a, I do have something to bring up really quickly about what happens on the planet. Sure. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Dax and the Hollow Suite, and whether her many lives had led her to a place of, you know, like thinking that something that happens in the Hollow Suite is just as cool as something that happens in real life, right? She doesn't mm-hmm. she doesn't look down on that experience as an artificial experience; she just experiences it as an experience, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Three hundred years of life, you know, as Dax, a lifetime upon lifetime upon lifetime. Let's say, plus, um, you know, thirty year old woman relatively young woman. uh, Certainly. I mean, today you would say a 30 year old woman is a relatively young woman. And certainly, you know, after medical technology gets so much better in the far, far future, 30 is like a kid. So, um, what do you make of Dax falling so fast? I'm sorry. What do you make of Jadzia Dax falling so fast and so hard for somebody that she and the symbiont inside of her have never met? Hmm.
0: What, what what do I make of that, or what did everybody else make of that? Because yeah,
2: well, no. What do you make of it? Because I mean, well, I mean, we can't ask everybody else, can we? They're fictional characters. I'm asking no, you, like, because
0: I, I I get that, but I mean, it, the one who made the most of it was Cisco. Well,
2: but Cisco's old friends. Well,
0: well, right, yeah. But but I think uh, I think Cisco kind of. I I think he answered in the appropriate way, which is to say, look, I I knew you as Curzon. Curzon was a bit of uh, uh, a bit of a rascal. He, uh, He, quote, fell in love every other week, as Jadzia says, and there might be something not to trust there. Um, or, or at least not to trust maybe just to, to ask your friend Curzon, Hey, think this through, slow down. You're, you're a bit, uh, uh, a bit impetuous, a bit, uh, a bit easy to, uh, to just jump whenever you feel like it. Um, I think in this case, they handled it right. Cisco had it right the way that I would think it through, which is, um, wow, this seems sudden. This seems a little strange, But I also know and trust who you are and trust your multiple lifetimes of experience, which have led you up to this point. Mm -hmm. So if this is what you truly think and what you truly feel, um, and you are telling me that you've thought this through, then I will support your decision to do this.
2: Okay, I think that's all right. Yeah, me too. I was uh, talking this episode over with a friend of mine who was like, not buying it. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, well, hold on, because Dax has been around for 300 years. And while yeah. Jadzia has not been around for 300 years, Dax has. So you would think that if Jadzia absolutely fell in love with someone, that Dax was like, this is not right. Well, yeah. she just got a stomachache for the whole episode, doesn't she? I mean, I don't know <laughs> right. what he would do exactly. But with his years and years and years and years and years of experience, he may have a sense for how often something like this does happen and when such a thing is right. I hate that. I keep doing that by the way, I keep referring to Dax as he, and it's because it's because Cisco refers to Dax's old Mm -hmm. man, but the symbiont may, you know, have a sense for how often something like this happens based on, you know, the seven lifetimes that preceded the one that they're in currently. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I have no problem with it. I actually, it, it was interesting to me because, um, Like I say, I was talking to somebody who was like, yeah, I hate it. She just falls in love so quickly. Well, 330 years of experience combined. So, you know, you'd think maybe, maybe, uh, maybe they know what they're doing.
0: And and look, here's the thing. People can and do fall in love quickly. People can and do fall in love over a very long period of time, too. So that's not it's not a one size fits all proposition. And particularly when we go to this science fiction version of it, Mm -hmm. where, yeah, this is a young woman. um, We we don't really know the details of her personal life up to this point, other than just, you know, fending off uh, Dr. Bashir, (laughs) but then they're cool at a certain point. Um, We don't know much about uh, just her as Jadzia up to this point. We do know details about the Dax symbiont and all the multitudes of experience that have gone there. So, look, I'm I'm just going to say it's kind of kind of hard to judge. Um, you got to trust that uh, the people around you, particularly in Cisco's case, because he has the longest relationship with Dax. You you got to trust that that their trust is warranted. So. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, uh, as the great Dan Savage says, every relationship fails until one doesn't. <laughs>
1: <Interesting>. <laughs>
0: so, yeah. Uh, so at this point, the best you can do is to say, all right, you feel this way right now. You're a reasonable, smart person. You've probably thought it through. I'm just going to ask you to think it through one more time. OK, you have thought it through one more time. Cool. And you're still going it. Great. The worst that can happen. Is it you've got 60 years as a non corporeal body, but guess what? Even if you hate that and hate Dural after that 60 years, you get to come back in the body you're in right now and start all over again.
2: Wow, good point, that.
0: That's so very
2: interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right, get to the part you're dying to get to. Oh, I'm, man, Geron. I'm, I'm dying to get to it too. There's so
0: much to unpack here. So much, I think. Um, he, he says uh, to uh, to Quark, when I walk into that hollow suite and see Kira standing there, I better believe it's really her. Now, look, we could go down so many directions with this. Uh, first of all, is a is a creepy guy mm-hmm. there's no question about it and we are telegraphed that right from the beginning and and man does jeffrey combs just sink his teeth into it and display every level of that um, we can go down the road of talking about the ethics of what's happening here with the hollow suite um, the, the hollow suite can pretty much create a believable facsimile of anything Mm-hmm. I mean, if he were on the Enterprise, he could be playing out his fantasies with minuet, or 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 maybe even like a Sherlock Holmes, if that's his thing. We don't know. T'ron right. might have all kinds of interests, you know, um, or even the crew of the Enterprise. So see also Reg Barclay, who just created the entire crew and the bridge and everything else, and he he had a thing going with with uh, Hollow uh, Troy. Yes. So here we add this layer of creepiness by conspiring with court to capture an image of Kira and, and Cork agrees to this and Kira has every right to be weirded out and shocked and offended by this. Um, then I, I, I sort of asked myself, well, well, what if this was slightly different? What if he were on his own? He has his own hollow suite created the program on his own and nobody knew about it except for him. Right. You know, it, it's still it's still creepy because we know Kira. We we know a lot about Kira. We know of her. But here he's getting people to be complicit in his uh, invasion of her privacy, mm-hmm. which is terrible. <laughs> and And it seems, well, look, in the context of Star Trek. We have to make the story happen the way the story is going to happen. Although in another story, it could literally just be walk into the Holosuite, hey, create a version of Major Kira, because Kira has been on the station for a long time, and there are security cameras, and there are records, and there are photos, and there are voice prints, and all this other stuff out there that has been captured by computers already anyway.
2: Well, you have to assume, though, that they're not networked with the Holosuite computers, Right. Sure. Because they're independent. Otherwise, you're right. Quark would have had absolutely no problem at all. Because like, I was wondering about, uh, not surprisingly, this made me think about Barkley as well. Like, like, is there just like a like, like screen after screen after screen that is a terms of service the first time you go into the holodeck? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and nobody, and nobody cares because what they're there to do is go skiing or go, you know, whatever they're there to have, to have a battle battle or something along mm-hmm. those lines. So they just scroll through and just like man alive, who would ever read this? And you get mm-hmm. to the part where it says agree. And what you've agreed to is it's going to capture your image so that if somebody else wants to use you as their boy toy or girl toy or whatever, maybe they just mm-hmm. want to, maybe they just want to see you working ops, but you know, you've clicked. Yeah, right. yeah, that's fine. I don't care. Cause what I really want to do is go skating. Or whatever it is that you're there for. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I that I found myself wondering about. Like, I don't remember if you and I discussed the legality of Barclays' behavior, but I mean, a lot's happened since we did that show, mm-hmm. and you know, since Jordy did his Leah Brahms episode as well. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking mostly about deep fakes, which we're hearing more and more about. Although listeners in the future may just call that video. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No kidding.
2: Yeah. Um. I guess what I'm wondering is, are we to assume that what Quark is trying to do is not illegal? Because Odo didn't... I mean, Odo said that he would, like, lean on him. Did he actually say he would arrest him? Yeah, he did. He said he would arrest him. He did. Okay, but does that mean that what Quark's doing is illegal, or is Odo just always willing to arrest somebody on Deep Space Nine? Because he can, can, can.
0: Well, yes, Odo is just always willing to arrest somebody. But I, I also think the important thing here is that Odo was ready to arrest Quark... For getting into restricted files. Mm, so right, right,
2: right. Okay.
0: That's the question. It's not whether or not uh creating a, a, a holodeck simulation of somebody without their consent is illegal.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right. So then that actually brings us back to the deep fakes thing, but that's a whole other thing entirely, which is going to be playing Mm -hmm. out seriously. By the time we publish this show, there may be something new about it. And we're recording this like four days before we're supposed to publish. (laughs) Right. So it's kind of tough to say, but um, we do at least uh, both agree that uh, what, what Quark and Tehran are trying to do. I mean, do we agree? I shouldn't say we agree. Do we agree that what Quark and Tehran are trying to do is, uh, is reprehensible?
0: Well, here's the thing where I think it gets, strange Mm -hmm. what what they are conspiring to do is reprehensible okay so what what, and and sneaking around and getting photos and trying to lure her into the holodeck and and this whole thing is creepy and gross and reprehensible where i come back to a question to make it any less reprehensible is just to say is Tyrone entitled to the fantasies that he has privately and like I said, if he is on his ship in his holodeck and he pro or a uh, and he programs it to whatever he wants, right? Is is that okay?
1: <laughs> I,
2: yes, I mean I yeah, don't know well. because I mean that's the whole thing, right? Like you like because what's the difference between the holosuite and and just you know closing your eyes and imagining something? right that's right. that is that is that the issue that you're is that where you're coming down
0: yeah i mean i, I think that's where it gets ethically into a gray area yeah you know I, it, because the the thing that's terrible here like i said is is the mechanics of getting there and luring somebody else into this um but again if you strip that away and you just say turan is a guy with a hollow suite he wants to put the programs in the hollow suite that he wants. Right. But that on the surface is OK. Right. What is not OK is sneaking around and stealing somebody's image. Right. Um, but who's to say that he couldn't just do that from memory? Like he said, closing his eyes and going, hmm, I remember her looking like this. I'm going to ask the computer to come up with something like this and it'll be as close as I can get without this other reference material.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, maybe what's reprehensible here is not whatever Tehran wants to do in the holodeck. Maybe it's the fact that ostensibly, or that Quark, ostensibly Kira's friend, is, is totally willing to um, to use her image in ways that she might not be into. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah
2: fun <laughs>
0: look i don't think we're gonna solve it i just think we're in this weird place with this episode where i yeah i mean the episode is telling you that Tehran is disgusting like, right. like let's just go ahead and get that out and the, the episode is also telling you that what quark is doing is disgusting right um I think, though, that there is another question here, because you and I have enjoyed talking about the holodeck and Suites and just the idea of experience being experience. Uh, real or not real, the experience can still be looked at as the same. This is a very interesting area to talk about. Um, we're left with this weird question about, okay, where does somebody's right to have a fantasy life stop? Because that's Creeping into somebody else's privacy.
1: With Jadzia's heart broken and a creepy deep fake put together, it is time to see what we can take from Meridian.
0: meridian ken just like uh just like us really you know mission log appears on a thursday and then goes away for a week and then oh oh look like like clockwork we come back on a thursday and like clockwork we get to the fourth segment of the show and we try to figure out what it's all about and if it all holds up so ken this week i'm going to ask you meridian aka brigadoon in space how does this hold up as a production
2: uh as a production i think it's fantastic I think everything that Jonathan Frakes has learned, he just, you know, keeps applying. There's one scene in particular that was absolutely amazing to me. Uh, Not for the acting, believe me. Um, The tree climbing scene. The tree climbing scene, the acting in it seemed a bit forced, but they climb maybe six feet. But it's a single shot and they start, Mm. I guess it's like a dolly. Or would it be a crane? I don't know. But they start basically with a shot that's way over Dax and Dural. And then when they start to climb, the dolly sort of pulls back and goes lower so that in the end we're shooting from way underneath them. And it looks like they've climbed a, a fairly decent height. And they haven't. They've they've seriously maybe gone five or six feet. But it's just very well framed. It's very well shot. And the same thing happens when they climb back down as well. Um And that's that's a production thing. I mean, you and I have talked and I can probably count on one hand the number of times they've done things with the camera that I'm like, that was incredible. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because usually the camera is just more or less sitting there. Uh, that was incredible. I thought that was a very it was a good shot. It was it, and it and it said a lot about the scene. And of course, it kept them from having to do anything goofy like you know a, a green screening a tree or anything what? like that.
1: Right.
2: Um, as far as the acting, because the acting in that scene was not great, there is acting in this episode that I think is amazing. For whatever reason, I don't buy uh, Nana in the one hundred million customer bit, but Armin <laughs> Shimmerman just nails it. And he doesn't always, but, man, he nailed that scene. And I don't know what it was exactly, but there was something in his delivery that was... I mean, it was almost like the subtext was not him trying to sell Kira on the whole thing, but underneath it, he's like, I can't believe this is working, you know? It was like (laughs) shooting fish in a barrel or something. And it was the way he delivered the line... Of course, you've won something. It's part of the giveaway, and there's something there's something about it. That I don't know what it was, but it was just it. It made me laugh each time, and I actually went walk went back and watched just that scene, a few times because I thought his delivery was fantastic. And as you pointed out earlier, Jeffrey Combs was was just amazing in this episode. And I'm not saying that as somebody who's like, oh, and I love every time he's on screen because while I know I've seen him before, um, yeah, he it, it's. I didn't feel like he was hemming it as the alien. Mm-hmm. I really just, I kind of wanted a shower.
0: Yeah, right, right. I mean, look, Jeffrey Combs, uh, I have liked as an actor and everything that I've seen him in. And I guess the first time I saw him was in Reanimator. And to me, he's kind of got this quality. This is a little bit different because Star Trek, uh, at least a lot of Star Trek, is kind of on the surface. What you see is what you get front and center. Tehran is creepy and weird. He's going to play it like that. That is what you get in a movie like Reanimator. I love watching Jeffrey Combs in the the moments that he is not front and center. Mm -hmm. He's kind of got this quality that I always liked about DeForest Kelly, which is even when somebody else is in the middle of their dialogue scene or with somebody else, you look back at the actor who is reacting silently and you see the gears turning in their head. And that's what I love about Jeffrey Combs is every time he's on screen, whether he is the guy that the camera is focused on or not, whether he is the one with the dialogue or not, you see the gears turning. He is fully engaged in that moment. Um, He's just, he's awesome. And I'll probably say that same thing every time we get to an episode with him in it. Um, And I agree with you about Armin too. He's got some great moments like the giveaway. And then, um, there was another moment. Uh, first of all, it was shot very well, too. I, I, I love the scenes in Quartz bar and how they were filmed for this episode. Uh, there's some POV stuff with Quark and the holo imager. That's fun because you see it through the lens. And then uh, Odo and Kira kind of walking toward him. But you're also shooting through the, uh, the support structures in the middle of the bar. All of that stuff was very creative and really sold what was going on. And then there's this scene uh, where Quark is showing Turon the data chip or the little data tube that he's got, all shot from behind those obstructions in the bar. It looks great. But back to the acting, look, Jeffrey Combs is great. And it, I think Armin is great in that scene, too, because they're, they start out with this little bit of uh, uh, threat. And Flattery, uh, uh, Quark is trying to sort of make a joke of it, and instead of heightening it by by sort of challenging each other with the dialogue, they're playing it quiet and straight, and it's great. It's just so good. that, That was a scene that really stood out for me uh, because everything sort of came together with that. So uh, I'm going to say the same thing from a production point of view. I think we have a lot of production value in this episode and it's a testament to the director It's a testament to the actors and also just having that extra little push with some nice location shooting. uh, So all of that works out very well, but let's talk about story because I don't know necessarily that we're going to find a lot of morals, meetings, messages here, uh, but let's talk about how the story holds up.
2: Well, like I said before, um, I have no problem with how quickly uh, Jedzia falls in love with uh, Dural here or how quickly Jedzia Dax falls in love with Dural here. Um, 300 years of experience plus, you know, the feelings, like her own feelings, they may know what they're doing. Normally, like, you know, When Kirk falls in love with someone at the beginning of an episode and then he's heartbroken at the end. I mean, the one drag is I don't think Dax is still going to be talking about the loss of Dural next week. I mean, we're we're, we're given to believe at the end of this episode that they are going to feel this loss for the next 60 years. And if we get another mention in the next six episodes, I'll be more than a bit surprised. So, but I mean, Mm. that's borrowing trouble as far as like what happened in this episode. I'm fine with the speed with which that happened. Um you said there aren't gonna be a lot of messages, morals, and meanings, and I don't disagree, except that we were kind of like asked to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I think the end is a drag for both of these stories. I'd have rather seen something really nightmarish happen for Tehran in the Hollow Suite. I mean what happened was bad, but it wasn't mm-hmm. scary. He's not gonna learn a lesson here, right? Yeah. This yeah. was really just to give Quark his comeuppance. But, I mean, what Tehran was doing was bad. He was 50% of what was going on there, or maybe 40%, right? Because he was you know, flashing a bunch of money at Quark. You know, that's going to get Quark to do anything. Maybe you can say Quark was doing worse because he was actually trying to pull off the chicanery. But I don't think, you know, I I don't think... Well, I'm trying to think of a way to put it. Well, basically, if you're paying some guy to get pictures of somebody, you know, unbeknownst to them, both of those guys are going to jail, Right, both the guy who paid and the guy who's getting the pictures. Um, So I kind of wish something much worse had happened to Tehran, although that was a really creepy shot. Um, With the DAX story, though, it goes a bit deeper. And I, you know, I'm sorry. Um, In the end, the message seems to be, if we're going to try to find a message, which is, of course, what we've been asked to do, Mm -hmm. um, DAX doesn't belong there. And introducing her into that society nearly wrecks that society, or more dramatically, nearly destroys their world, right? I Mm. don't think that was the intended message, but, you know, charged as we were by a guy named Roddenberry to ask questions about message, that's the one I found, and it's a bummer, because because it's a bummer i didn't even i wasn't looking for that i didn't want to think about it but i think it was after the second or third time i watched the episode i was like wow so her trying to go into a place that's new and different where everybody had been kind of cloistered to that point nearly destroys them and so she's got to go and i and i do not believe that that was their intention but uh, i'm kind of bummed that that's uh, that's what i get from her time among the meridians what about you sir
0: yeah, I I can't think that that
2: was an intended message. It was absolutely I, not an intended message. I know that.
0: No, no, no. I I, I but I, I yeah, I they're trying to create this, you know, tragic love story and I, and I guess for the tragedy to be there, well you you, you got to get her out of there one way or another. You have to separate these two no matter what. Um or, or else well what what would our show be then after that? Our show is uh Boy, it'd be, be nice to see Jadzia again in, uh, in 59 years. <laughs> yeah, that'll and, be great. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: you know. I mean, maybe you do it the other way. I mean, maybe you do it the other way where they're all actually goes. Like, the further he gets from Meridian, it turns out, the more he starts to phase out of existence. So they have to take him back or something. Mm. I, mean, mm-hmm. a, and that's, I mean, you've changed it a tiny bit. Maybe you've changed it a lot. I mean, like we say, I don't believe that was an intended message. So I don't think there was any reason for anybody to think Maybe we should do it the other way. Although I am curious why they didn't do it the other way, because he was ready to leave. So why not just try that and say, turns out that's not going to work?
0: Yeah, you can still have the tragic love story and and the exploration of that part of Chad if you play it the other way. This was probably just a more dramatic way to do it. I I mean, look, in the end here, I think that, well, uh, let me start by saying this. I rarely, if ever, when I'm doing research for Mission Log, if I come across something that says, and here's how the people who wrote it felt about it, or here's how the director felt about it, I skip that. Because I don't want to know how people interpreted an episode or how they stacked it up. All I want to know is, well, first of all, when I watch it, how do I feel about it? And I want to know the trivia about the making of the episode. In this case there were a lot of voices talking about how they did not like this episode. Hmm. Now, one of the people who liked this episode is Terry Farrell. And she had a lot to do. And she she got to play a uh, tragic love story. So, of course, as an actor, you want that kind of thing. Um, But even Iris Stephen Bear, who is a fan of Brigadoon and championed this episode into existence, um, was not a fan of this episode. Um, but I, I'll say this: I, I think, honestly, for me, uh, the romantic plot line here is just sort of cute and entertaining. They, 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 uh, Dural and Jadzia, I, I am okay accepting that they fall in love very quickly. I'm okay accepting that either of them would sacrifice something to stay with the other. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with all of that. I, I don't think the words like believable really need to matter here we're just very quickly in a science fiction context telling this romantic tale Um, it is despite the fact that we have to separate them at the end it is a relatively light-hearted story but with the heavy-hearted angle being on dax and i'm actually glad to see again ds9 let its hair down from time to time Now, I know that DS9 is a show built on these big arcs, and we've got a lot more to go with big arcs like the Dominion. (laughs) What's going on there? But every now and then when we get to have an episode or two that just says, hey, we're going to do this thing. We're going to let our people get trapped in Deep Space Nine with a bunch of booby traps. Hashtag booby trap. Um, Or we're just going to tell this semi-tragic love story. And let that sit there for a moment. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the idea that there isn't necessarily a deep, heavy message to go along with it. Um, although, Ken, if if the message is uh, yeah, you're you're doomed from the start if you try to have a love affair with a guy on a planet that will wink itself out of existence. Well, maybe that's not such a bad message to have. Just uh, just make sure that the planet where the person that you fall in love with uh, resides, will stay there for longer than a few days.
2: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Have you checked out all of the shows on the Roddenberry Podcast Network? It's a growing network, you know. Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, and your daily Star Trek news. All that and who knows what else by the time you hear this podcast.roddenberry.com if you'd like to support Mission Log directly that'd be great patreon.com slash mission log is the place to do that for more exciting Star Trek podcasts be sure to check out Trek FM at trek.fm and for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion be sure to visit trekmovie.com
0: on the next mission log defiant
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Olly Ali, Oxen Free. I expect that will work. In about 59 years. Give or take. transmission Com, the Roddenberry Podcast network.